We finish today our mini-series in this book of Leviticus, the book that I call a book of joy. And I hope I've communicated some of that joy to you over the last two weeks. And this joy is not the overbearing and raucous joy we often think that it is. But it is that joy which is the amazing inner confidence that we can have from knowing that God is our God and that we are his children. Let's pray once more. Father, thank you once again that we can meet here in freedom. Unlike many of our brothers and sisters around the world who have to meet in secret or in fear that the authorities will come in and destroy their church. Help me now as I speak that we would hear you, O Lord, and that each of us here would leave here later knowing that we have met with you, the living God, with something more to do and something more to say to extend your kingdom in this world. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. And last week from Leviticus 16 and 17, we looked at that great annual event known as the Day of Atonement. And what it signified for ancient Israel, we investigated Leviticus 17 verse 11, answering the question, why is life in the blood? Are you tired from knowing that your blood has travelled 84,000 miles in the last seven days? Enough to make your knees go weak, isn't it? And we looked at how all that applied to us today, that it is because of Jesus Christ alone, every human can choose to be at one with God and have eternal life. All because of God and his wellsprings of grace, love and mercy. Nothing we do can earn it, but simply because of his act of joyous love toward us which we have freely chosen to accept. We were even not very English at all. We even gave an audible wow at one point. We, we may get to do that again today. Feel free. And now to Leviticus 18 and 19. Here's where the rubber hits the road. Leviticus moves on to the matter of wholeness of life and personal holiness. God gives to his people Israel some laws of how they were to live. Laws for such things as food and diet, how to treat foreign nationals, justice, the poor, sex, social etiquette and tattoos. Sounds like Boscombe, doesn't it? So let's briefly take just two examples Firstly, the laws regarding sexual activity in Leviticus 18. The other nations engage in the, all these sexual activities, often as part of their religious devotion and worship, but also as an, an abusive power and hold over people. But Israel were not to be like that. For Israel, sexual activity was to be between one man and one woman within a marriage. Totally different 
to the surrounding nations. And tattoos. Look in Leviticus 19 verse 28. Why are tattoos mentioned? Primarily because the other nations tattooed and cut themselves as signs of their devotion and worship and allegiance to their gods. That was their manner of outward holiness, as it were. Hence, their prohibition for Israel. Israel were to be different. Israel were not to be like any of these other nations in any way, shape or form. Other cultures were not allowed to infiltrate them. Israel was to stand out as God's light to the other nations. These laws were for Israel and also for all immigrants, foreign nationals and aliens who lived among them. In our second reading in Mark 12, we see that Jesus said that the whole of the law, including these in Leviticus today, is summarised as love God and love all other people. Very different for its day. So who is God? Repeatedly in this book, God has said, Be holy, for I am holy. As we've glimpsed in the last two weeks, holiness is what separates God from his creation. For God alone is holy and full of glory. Remember what Aaron had to do when entering the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement? Anyone? He had to create a wall of smoky incense so that he wouldn't glimpse God's glory and holiness and be struck down dead like his sons. Holiness is the sum of all God's attributes. God is holiness and holiness is God. And it's also a moral attribute of God, a God of purity and his freedom from the stain of sin. There is an innate moral goodness about God an absolute perfection which always seeks creation's welfare. Did you know the woodpecker, and it taps his little beak against the bill 15,000 times a day, has a little soft sponge pad behind his beak so that he doesn't knock himself out. God's care for his creation. And the goodness of God has several key aspects within this. They include grace, Holiness, patience, love, mercy and truth. They're all part of God's morality. And have you seen evidence of this in your life? Let's keep having a look at our God. God says, for example, in verse 2 of chapter 19, I. That indicates that God is personal. This God is personal and there's an intimacy to be had with this personal God. This was no god of rock or wood like the surrounding polytheistic nations of Israel or for Israel. Their god is one. God is a god who is personal and therefore he must be capable of having and sustaining relationships. And a god who sustains relationships would therefore want to be known. We know that God is spirit yet he's also a personal and infinite being. God is one in substance or nature and is incapable of being divided. Even more, as we saw last week, God is love. 
Love is one of his key attributes. And if God was only a single person, then how could love possibly be shown? Love requires more than one person for love to be active, doesn't it? And if it's not active, then it cannot be love. So how can we answer this seeming paradox? We obviously now can't go into this in any great detail, but briefly it's the Trinity. So here we go. While the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, the principle behind it does, in both the Old and the New Testaments. In the prayer, in the reading that we had earlier from Isaiah, it says, Who will go for us? As Christians, we believe that God is a triunity or trinity, three exactly equal and eternally coexisting persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are not three separate gods, as some claim. They are not three separate modes of the one God, as others claim, both ancient heresies. The trinity is three are one, or the property of three occurring at once. And we know that love is an intrinsic, essential, and inevitable quality of God. And the God we serve as Christian disciples exhibits love in every sense of his very being. This Godhead Trinity, with its qualities of relationship, shows that God is love. And the work of salvation is an act of love from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father called us. The Son redeemed us and the Holy Spirit seals us as God's children. And ancient Israel were to reflect their God. I am holy, declares God. You must also be holy, as I am. In other words, this is what I would do, so be obedient to me, and you must do that also. Israel were to reflect God's holiness in a practical, down-to-earth, get-your-hands-dirty manner. God and these ancient Israelites were in relationship with each other. And from the passages that we read this morning, we see at least three characteristics of this relationship. Firstly, there's a call to be loyal to God. God's laws were not to be obeyed as mere slaves, but to be obeyed joyfully and with thankfulness to God. God is speaking to those he is in an intimate relationship with, and he wants them to be observably loyal to him, to be like him, holy. That was something to be zealous about. And secondly, there is the call to be different. Israel were to be totally different from the surrounding countries and cultures. They were to have a national distinctiveness that truly was to have separated them from the other nations, such as Egypt and Philistia. A distinctiveness in areas such as diet, immigration, justice, treating the poor, sex, social etiquette and worship. Israel's God is a personal God, and we have seen that in this journey of Leviticus, haven't we? He dwelt with them, he lived with them, 
totally unlike the other nations with their impersonal gods made of stone and wood. Because Israel's God lives and he loves. And then thirdly, their whole life was to be worshipped. For the citizens of ancient Israel, worship wasn't to be confined to just the Sabbath or to the feasts and the ceremonies. It was to be their lifestyle. God's regulations and laws affected such ordinary things as relationships, diet, clothing, social justice, social welfare, the environment, animal husbandry and work. Their whole lifestyle was to be an act of worship to their God. So who knows best what humans need? Humans or the God who created them? And by being obedient, they would have life to the full. So how about us today? As we have seen, being holy does not just mean being sinless. It's also to be practical and ethical. Holiness also means to be separated out and set apart for God's special purpose and work. That is what ancient Israel were to be, and it's what Christians today are to be. The church, said Jesus, are to be sent out into the world. We're to seek the kingdom of God and extend it with its values such as forgiveness, grace, integrity, impartiality, justice, love, mercy, reconciliation, reformation and trust in God. Does that sound like the church in the UK to you? Integrity. You either have it or you don't. And it soon become apparent if you have it or not. And a quick look through church history, as well as parts of the church today, we observe the only kingdom that some have looked to build is their own little kingdoms, isn't it? Where they adopt the values of this world and its pervading culture with sins such as materialism, abusive power and vain privilege. The morality and impurity have entered God's church this way. And some churches today proclaim God as just a mere asset to be added to your life support systems, don't they? Or is it just me who finds this stuff? And yet in doing so, they are depersonalising God. They're making God a mere object or an idol they can put into a box. And I tell you that a God like that is not the loving and living God of the Bible. If you're a Christian, you have access to God. You are declared holy and you now wear wear Jesus' robe of righteousness. We wear it because we have entered into the sonship of God of Jesus Christ. Is that a wow? Oh, come on, you can do better. I know you're English. Wow! And it happens as a gift of God because of what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection. Therefore, all Christians are to seek to live holy lives worthy of this Jesus. We as Christians should be affecting the culture surrounding us 
And not as it seems evident in a lot of churches today when the outside culture is creeping into the church. We are sent out into our community to be God's ambassadors in this world which is in alienation of God. Here's another wow for you. We're not left alone to do it. As a Christian, God the Holy Spirit is living within you, changing and transforming us into the very image of the Holy One whose robe we wear, Jesus. And so how is our personal holiness to be shown? Let's look back again into Leviticus 19. It starts off with instructions about taking care of the poor and what was and what was not to be eaten. God was going to provide for the poor. How? The farmers were to leave some of the crop or vineyard unharvested and it was to be a symbolic act of worship, a thanksgiving and a visible sign of trusting in God to supply. It was generous holiness in action. How about immigration and the treatment of foreigners? Back 3,500 years ago, there were no such things as illegal immigrants. Immigrants were immigrants, some friendly and some probably not so friendly in all likelihood. How does God instruct his people to deal with them? They're to love them. After all, they were neighbours. Look at Leviticus 19, verses 34 to 38. The immigration or alien is to be respected, trusted and treated as a native born. Why? Because their ancestors were once aliens and foreigners in Egypt. And this, by taking care of them and loving, it would also show God's light to the surrounding nations about how God loves all people, including those adopted by his nation Israel. And the whole of this section is summed up in Leviticus 19, verse 18. Love your neighbour as yourself. Neighbour being any other person, not just the person who lived next door. But it did include them as well. So for an ancient Israelite to show that they loved their neighbour, Leviticus 19 says it would mean not doing things such as stealing from them, lying to them, being deceptive, blaspheming, cursing, being slanderous, being filled with hatred, or endangering them. A good neighbour would be a person of integrity, not seeking to exploit others in any way. You would pay them a fair wage and pay it on time. This good neighbour would administer justice fairly and be observably filled with love. A good neighbour would ensure their neighbour wasn't going hungry or being in want in any way. They were to look after the needs as much as other people as they were for themselves. They were to love other people as much as they themselves would like to be loved in the same situation. Aren't those good guidelines for us today? We're to reflect God's love of us and our love of God to all other people by loving all other people. And I realise it's very easy for me to say it's harder for me to do. As Christians, as individuals and as a church, we need to be showing this love to other people. To really love each other as well as our outside of here. And we all put people in boxes and categories. It's very easy to objectify people 
and dismiss them as mere objects rather than people. And when we do that, however, it's usually because hidden away within us, in the shadows of our own life, is the exact same thing for which we are judging and boxing that other person. Or is that just my experience? But we are to emulate our God and see people as those who are worth dying for. After all, that's what God thinks when he sees people. So how can we love others? Paul in Philippians 2 suggests this as a way to show love to other people. Warning, it's a bit radical. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Putting the interests of others humbly before your own interests. That's a bit revolutionary, isn't it? But we can do it with the help of God and his abundant grace and love toward us. We can rely on the Holy Spirit that is within us to empower us and to give us the wisdom and ideas of how to love other people. We can adopt ideas from other people. As Christians, we're to love all other people extraordinarily and extravagantly, compelled as we are by the Spirit of God within us to reflect our love of God through loving all other people. So how can we reflect and practice this love? Let me quickly suggest two ways, and they are really just two sides of the one coin. If I get behind in the slides, just wave, and I'll eventually notice you. Firstly, love is faithful. In our journey through Leviticus, Israel was to be faithful to God. We've seen the ancient Israelites being given a new identity, which would have seen them stand out among the nations. And so too with us today as we've also gained a new identity when we chose to become Christian. We are to stay faithful to Jesus Christ regardless of opposition and alternatives. And to help us overcome these difficulties, we're to show a constant identification with Jesus Christ in all aspects of our life. We aren't persecuted in the UK, but we are being increasingly sidelined and marginalised, aren't we? because of our faith. And the Christian language is slowly being eradicated from our laws, from our language, and from our schools. Dare we speak out? And when we fail and we sin, we're being unfaithful and disobedient to God. I know I am often in my weakness, but I do know that when I sin, I can ask for forgiveness from our God and he'll grant it from his wellsprings of grace mercy and love. And then my sin is dispersed as far as the east is from the west. Amazing love, grace and mercy of our God. And part of being faithful is to be seen in the decisions that we make. Jesus recommends in Matthew chapter 10 that we be skillful and shrewd in making decisions. 
that they may be characterised by intelligence, patience and shrewdness. Some decisions are cut and dry, clearly right or wrong. Some, however, are not. How can we make wise decisions? Here are some suggestions. We can ask ourselves questions such as, have I asked the Holy Spirit to help me make this choice? If we ask for his help and guidance, we need to be prepared to listen to his voice. Will doing this or not doing this bring glory to God? Will this activity grieve the Holy Spirit? Will it build Christian character? Will it cause another Christian or person to stumble or will it build them up? And faithfulness is also observed through obedience, just as it was for Israel. In week one we saw that showing love, serving and giving to others are a practical outworking of our obedience to God. And therefore, if we are to show that we love God and that we love our neighbour, we are to be prepared to be obedient to the commands of Jesus. After all, it is he who is our Lord and our Master. We, as his people, as Christians, in his orchestra of joy, which is the church here in Bosdom, we are to show obedience to him in all facets of life. Not an obedience born from slavery, but an obedience to him born from a joyous freedom of grace and forgiveness. An obedience born from thankfulness to him for all that he has done for us and will do for us. As Christians, we're to be stayed focused on him, casting off all that would hinder and seek to stop us. Are we doing that? Amazingly, again, if we fall into disobedience, we can confess our sin to God. We can get right back up again, knowing we are forgiven, totally forgiven. We're called to be joyfully obedient to him, serving him in every aspect of life, and in doing so, our whole lives will be acceptable worship to God, and not just at a Sunday meeting. Our life worship is to be a lifestyle of conscious decisions, reflecting our devotion to a God with whom we are in a relationship with. It will affect the way, for example, the way we work, use our abilities trusted to us, spend our money, interact with others, our rest, our relaxation and the way that we treat other people. So let me now suggest very briefly just two areas of our life where we need to be obedient and which I think is missing in a lot of church today. When I say church, I don't necessarily mean here. I mean the whole church. Just from an observation. How about this for a command from Jesus? These are perhaps the most difficult words Jesus ever said to his followers. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Difficult words, aren't they? Not preached in many churches today. Certainly not in those which seek to proclaim the prosperity gospel because it's totally against everything that they believe. So how can we carry our cross? We do it by constantly ensuring that what we do and what we say matches our lifestyle. 
It means being willing to be taken out of our comfort zones to serve God more fully, like transplanting an Australian who likes nice warm weather to cold, rainy England. I still say it was only for six months, but he disagrees. It means standing up for God in the face of adversity. It means standing up for justice and proclaiming it. It means helping practically the poor, the downtrodden, the scruffy and the weak. I know some people who think that that's all that Boscombe is. As Christians, we're only beginning to explore the grace of God, even if we've been Christians for decades. We're only just beginning to grasp what the, the gospel and God's grace truly means. That this holy, perfect God we follow and love went out of his comfort zone, crossed the barrier, came to earth, died on a cross and became sin. Why? So that all people, including you and I, could have a choice to follow him, live for him and have eternal life. And our second command, to tell others about him. Obedience to Jesus is also seen in what we call the Great Commission of Matthew 28. We had a look at that together back in April, I think. Particularly in telling others about him and being willing to make disciples wherever we go and whatever we're doing. For the modern church, two words that scare the church are evangelism and discipleship. When was the last time we told somebody else about the love of our God? That this God is pursuing you and calling you to come running into his arms of grace and love. And with all that said, how can we wrap up and conclude? Firstly, we saw that the ancient people of Israel were not to be like the surrounding nations and cultures in areas of life such as food and diet immigration, sex and social etiquette. Israel was to administer justice fairly and make sure the poor were helped and nobody was in need. We saw that God is holy and that ancient Israel were also to be holy through joyful obedience to him. That was the command. Be holy as I am holy. You are to do as I would do. We saw that the church today, individually and collectively, are also to be like that. We are to love others, all others, including other Christians. It's not a plastic love, but a real love. A love such as that which God showed the world, deep-seated, open, frank, honest and sacrificial. We are to reflect the God we proclaim to love and worship by living a life of integrity, impartiality, forgiveness, grace, love, mercy, reconciliation and reformation. We're to love God by choosing to be faithful to him and in making wise decisions. We're to love God by being joyfully obedient to him through thankfulness 
by carrying our cross daily and telling others about him. We can ask God to help us, give us wisdom, empower us, and he will. There are opportunities initiated by God to each of us every day to show love to other people. But we have to be listening, watching, and waiting for those opportunities. There's possibilities to love other people, including to tell others of the wondrous news that they can have peace with God if they only acquiesce and go running into his outstretched arms. A man goes to his vicar one day and asks if he could say a prayer at the next church worship service for his dog, who had recently died. The vicar said, A dog? No, go away. The Catholics down the road may do something. Go to them. The man replied, well, that's a shame. I was devoted to that dog. And during the service, I was going to top up the fund for the new refectory roof to £10,000. Ah, replied the vicar, you didn't say the dog was a Protestant. (laughs) Putting people in categories and boxes causes much of the evil in this world, doesn't it? Including Boscombe. As I said, I know people who put Boscombe into a box. Never go there. We all do it. The rich do it. The poor do it. Cutting people down as part of the misuse and abuse of words. I know I can misuse and abuse words very easily. Some of you may be even thinking that even now. And this evil and abuse comes from dehumanising people. Treating people as mere objects through words and actions. Robbing them of their human dignity rather than treating them as fellow human beings who can be communicated with, cared for and loved unconditionally. And sadly some even in the church join in on this. Forgetting it seems that God loved that person they are demonising so much that he came and died on a cross for them. God's grace can reach anybody. And if we mess up in any way, we can ask for forgiveness and God will forgive us. Just as we've been forgiven much by God, part of our loving of other people is to forgive all those who have sinned against us and done us wrong. Is there anybody in your life that you need to forgive as Christ has forgiven you? That's also part of loving others, isn't it? And it could be any person that you know, or it could indeed be your own physical neighbour who likes to play his trumpet at 11.30 at night. And we can't run out of this love because it's always being replenished by the God of love. And we come daily to our God as refreshment, talking with him, communicating deeply and openly with him. We are refreshed and renewed. Amazing love by the God of love. An errant human need is the need to belong and by fulfilling relational needs. We're to become relevant to the people here. Loving others with a kind word, a smile, a joke or a laugh. Engaging with people from a spirit of love rather than a spirit of fear or apathy. 
all done with a creative craving for doing the incredible, joining together isolated and solitary individuals and showing them that they are loved and valued by God and by us, radically exhibiting our love for God, ourselves and other people, a Christian community putting the needs of others above our own. Leviticus, a book of joy, love and wonder. Joy which is that amazing inner confidence of knowing that God is your God and you are his child. Joy, Jesus first, others second, ourselves last. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. True joy gets its hands dirty for God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for that you loved us so much that you sent your Son to die for us. And Father, we're sorry for the times when we don't manage to love others the way that you love them. Forgive us for the times we put ourselves first instead of loving others first. Forgive us, Father, for putting you in a box in those times that we do, but also for the times we put other people into boxes, dehumanising them. Thank you that your forgiveness is always enough for us. Help us, O oh God, to go now and show your love and forgiveness to others, all others, including those here. And we ask this, O God, for your glory, for your honour, and for your majesty. Amen.